At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up to date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. Listen to the Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on patreon.com and join us. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. 
Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 60, For the Fallen, Justin Hurst. This podcast, we interview Justin Hurst's father, Alan Hurst, about his sons in the line of duty death. And it's... It was so impactful to hear the story from a father about his son that was killed in the line of duty 14 years ago. And you guys, I just want you as listeners, try to think about your father telling this story or think about, you know, if it was your son killed in the line of duty and you're telling the story. Um, just those rolled reversals. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it was a tough one for me, John. It was you know, it hit home. I mean, it's just a, you're listening to a father tell a story about how his son was killed in the line of duty because he doesn't want anybody to forget his son. He doesn't want to forget his son, and he wants to share everything about his son that he can with the world. I really appreciate him and the strength he had to do uh, this podcast and tell Justin's story. Such a special thing. Yeah, you know, it's Wayne, it's tragic and uh beautiful all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's this dichotomous feeling of what what's happening here. And when you think about the fact that parents should never have to bury their children, mm-hmm. you know, that's so outside of, you know, uh what is expected in a lifetime of while we're put on this earth. And especially when you bury your son that committed his life to protecting our resources, to protecting the public. Uh, and you're so proud of that as a parent. And you got to relive not only the joy and the pride of everything your son stood for, but the devastating loss of losing your son before his time or before what could have happened. And this is this one's deep, but it just goes to show you how much sacrifice that all of our officers on the Thin Green Line of Conservation and our thin blue line of city police officers and all law enforcement officers and first responders face and the heartbreak that may come to the family with the risks we take. But this is an example of, like you said, Wayne, really well said, is he does not want to lose that memory of his son. And he doesn't want the world to lose the memory and the significance and not honor the work his son did. And that's beautiful. As tragic as the situation is, that's beautiful. It needs to happen. Story needs to be told. Uh, 
And it has to reinforce the risks we take and the value of what we do out there. And we're really lucky that so many people, especially our listeners and our viewers, and we love you guys for this, really take to heart what we're doing out there. And you're as passionate as we are uh, to the guys on the ground and the women on the ground working firsthand on the front lines. And this is a story of, you know, the risks we take and we don't always come home. And that's a sobering reality that we have to face and never take the job lightly because that is the, that is the ultimate end game. Mm, for sure. And you'll hear his uh, wife, uh, Justin's mother, Pat, every now and then chime in in the background. She doesn't want Alan to forget stuff. Uh, uh, it was very uh, endearing. I, 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 I found it. And, and she's a very special lady. And uh, it, was, it was for sure. And I, I, I quote her in the end, uh, something I found online. So we're going to lead this one in with a prayer from Texas Wildlife, uh, Parks and Wildlife Chaplain Scott McIntosh who led our, our last For the Fallen podcast last year. He led the prayer into that. So I just think it's so appropriate that Scott's from Texas Parks and Wildlife as a chaplain and to lead this memorial podcast to Justin Hurst, who was killed in line of duty. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day to thank you for all the men and women who work in different parts of our nation as game wardens fishing game officers and all the different nomenclatures used to describe those who protect our natural resources as well as the citizens of these united states we're cognizant of and remember daily those men and women who have given their last and greatest measure as they were performing their duties men like justin hurst from texas who with duty and honor was taken from his family from his department, and ultimately from all the citizens of Texas. Men and women throughout the United States, Lord, feel such a pride and sense of duty that they are, at any given time, ready to lay down their lives for a calling larger than themselves. Thank you for people such as these. It is a a great honor to serve with these type of individuals and teams May the people of each state understand and lift high those who, in many cases, go unnoticed, but who serve nonetheless. Thank you for allowing us to know our game wardens, to have the honor of praying for them each day, to lift them and their families up, and even to watch with amazement our canine officers as they perform their duties. Protect them all and help them to know how much they are loved by the citizens of their state. In your name, amen. So today's on Warden's Watch, we are doing our memorial podcast. And this is one of the toughest podcasts I do because I relate, and I think all of us relate. All of us have been in those situations where it could have been us, and I think it's so important to tell the stories of our fallen. I don't want to forget. I don't think you want to forget. I don't think our listeners want to forget. I think our listeners want to know and understand the Game Warden's that have fallen in our past. And today, I have the distinct privilege of interviewing Mr. Alan Hurst, the father of Justin Hurst, Texas game warden, killed in the line of duty 14 years ago. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Hurst. It's, it's tough. I, I, it's a tough subject, but when they're gone, to carry on and tell their stories, I think it's a, it's a pretty special. And I know we... And your wife were talking, myself and your wife were talking about making lemonade out of lemons. And she certainly said a lot of that lemonade never gets sweet, Wayne. And boy, 
I think that says it all. You can, you can try to make lemonade out of lemons, but it's never going to get sweet. It, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. But I want everybody to know Justin. I want to know, you know his commitment, his ultimate sacrifice. And then the stuff that you guys as a family went through, the aftermath, uh, that's something that I haven't exposed listeners to yet. And for me, I'm reviewing all this information. That, that was a traumatic moment for me to think about what you guys had to go through after. You lose a son, and now you got to go through a trial. And ultimately, he has to pay for his crime. Again, thank you for joining us, uh, Mr. Hurst. I so appreciate it like to start with Justin uh, from the beginning. <laughs> okay. Uh, Justin was, uh, was born in uh, Wheat Ridge, Colorado, when we were living in Denver, Colorado. I was involved in professional football for 21 years, so that's where, where he was born. Justin really enjoyed the outdoors. Um, you know, it's a different type of weather up there than what we have down in Texas. Uh, he enjoyed the snow and he enjoyed uh, playing in it and playing with the dogs. He was a great uh, lover of dogs. And I, I think every place we went, he ended up with dogs and also bringing other people's dogs that they got rid of. <laughs> but uh, he, he, had, he had this desire to be in the outdoors. And when we moved to Texas, we lived fairly close to the Trinity River. San Jacinto River. So he spent quite a lot of his time down at the river fishing and, and looking at wildlife. One day he came home and he said, Dad, we need to go back down. He said, we found two hawks that uh, have been snared. And he said, I can't get them. So we went down to the to the river and and were able to capture the the um, the hawks and take them to a rehabber. She was able to take and save both of those hawks, and I think that was maybe one of the times that that he kind of started thinking of uh, that's what he wanted to do was uh, be in the outdoors and and learn as much as he could about wildlife and be a biologist. He really started, it was, uh, I think, mainly when, when he got into high school. And uh, we were going out to a place uh, called Monaville, and uh, out where uh, dove hunting was going on and everything. And, and we were able to meet one of the biologists out there. So Justin made contact with him and became very interested in it. And uh, as soon as Justin turned 16, we ended up getting a truck for him. And uh, after that time, we never saw him. <laughs> but, you know, uh, of course, that, those were the days when, when things were a lot different than what they are now. Mm. But anyway, he, uh, he ended up spending a lot of time with the biologist and, and learning things about nature and, and what all biologists do and, and uh, with the different seasons and and of capturing of birds and habitats and, and stuff like that. I think that's where he really got the interest of, of that's what he wanted to go into. Then he made some contacts with some other people and ended up uh, guiding. And, and, you know, to be a guide at 16 is, is wow. kind of something different, but yeah. he had built up a, uh, uh, reputation of being a very good guy. It basically went from there. 
of him learning about uh, guiding and and uh, he was he was very lucky that he had some tremendous people that taught him um, not only about dove hunting and uh, guiding but in uh, his big thing was duck and geese that's what he really fell in love to then he met a person by the name of David Lowprice who was a biologist and uh, in 1988-89 season down here, we had a uh, uh, avian cholera uh, breakout, and Justin volunteered uh, to work with this biologist and collecting all the all the dead birds and and everything and and destroying them. He uh, he really took a liking to Mr. Low Price and and David really enjoyed having him and, and working with him. David had two girls and he didn't have a boy. So he he loved Justin so much that he adopted him as a son because mm-hmm. it, it was something he always wanted and he didn't have. Mm-hmm. So that relationship there really was very strong for Justin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, uh, David was a biologist worked with a uh, duck and geese and and also deer and so i think that was uh, the one person that really um pushed justin into being a biologist then he started guiding more and more as as he got older he was one of the guides for the largest rice farm in in around the houston area the jordan farms here again he met uh, Trent Jordan and and their relationship became very strong and and uh, he was a guide with them. He learned a lot from from Trent about calling and and uh, habitats and and everything that's involved with uh, hunting duck and geese. So that relationship was very strong. Then later on, he uh, uh, got involved again with the Texas Parks and Wildlife biologist. And they asked him if he would be interested in, in monitoring and reading um, uh, bands on geese. This was when they were taking, putting the big round collars on geese and stuff. And so what they wanted him to do was to go out and, and look in the fields and see if he could find geese that had bands and, and read the numbers on them. And it was a way of tracking uh, the geese coming down and, and where they were from. So that was, you know, that part of it just pushed him that much more uh, through high school. He decided to go to Texas A&M University, which is a very large university as far as wildlife. And uh, they have an a extremely good program there for uh, wildlife management. And, and that's what he really was interested in going into. Here again, during during his time at, at AM, which is interesting in that they have football. The only thing is that football interfered with duck and goose season. Oh boy. And and Justin never went to a single football game because uh, because he was out working either with the biologist or, or working uh, as a guide, he's probably the only Aggie I know that never went to a single football game while he is, his four years there. But that's, I mean, that's 
that was his desire and 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 that's what he was interested in and and uh justin was the type of kid that he did a lot of research a lot of study and you know really found find out what he was interested in doing yeah here again he that says so much he about was, a person, Mr. Hurst, when you, you, you go to Texas A&M and you don't go to a football game. I, I think it describes a lot of outdoor people, too, because growing up, uh, you know, baseball and all of that wasn't a big deal for me. Opening day of hunting season was my opening day of baseball. And, I boy, I, 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 as you're saying that, I'm, you know, I think a lot of people are going to put stand in Justin's shoes like that because it's a different game that we played using the outdoors and in this day and age and i'm sure you see it you know my son hockey season is day in and day out and i i didn't have those opportunities back you know 40 years ago we didn't have those opportunities to play all these games and stuff and that's kind of taking the place of how we grew up in the outdoors so, but I can I can see myself in Justin's shoes because I think I'd rather be out with him and the goose and the ducks and looking for bands and the biologists than going to the Texas A and M games. So that that just it just says volumes about his love for the outdoors and his love for wildlife. Uh, special special yeah. uh, thing you shared with us. Thank you on that. So please continue on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's just uh, no. It's uh you know it's interesting to hear different stories from different people and and you know, what they did in their childhood growing up. And, mm. but he, uh, he loved the outdoors and, and, and especially the, the, the goose and, and, and ducks and, uh, fell in love with Wharton County. That's where he, uh, was doing most of his guiding and, and biology, uh, work at the time. So, um, he graduated from A&M and became a, um, a technician, uh, working with biologists for about the first six months out of college. Then the opportunity came around to apply for a position at Peach Point, which is the largest wildlife management facility around the Houston area. It, uh, it is 15,000 acres wow. of property, uh, and it's set aside for, for hunting duck, geese, and deer, and fishing and also uh, Dove. So the opportunity came by and he applied for it. And um, they, I think there were 300 and some people applied for the job. I think what really helped Justin was the fact that he had uh, worked so much with these biologists in his previous years. They knew what his work ethics were. Justin had very strong work ethics. He, um, he wouldn't quit. He, uh, he wanted to learn as much as he possibly could. So anyway, he applied for the job and he became the new manager of Peach Point. He held that position for about seven years. At that time, he, he decided that he would, he still liked learning and stuff, uh, at Peach Point and, and taking care of that and, you know, all this, all the problems you have with hurricanes and you've got all the flooding and everything that comes into those lowlands and stuff. But uh, so he decided that he would like to maybe spend more time with kids. He decided to become a game warden. So he applied uh, for game warden academy. Our academy down here is, is a, a seven month academy. Uh, it's a very long academy. It's a very tough academy. 
uh, you know, I'm sure all, all game wardens go through a tremendous amount of training and everything in, in their academies. But um, what was interesting there is that not only do they do the regular law enforcement uh, education, same thing as our uh, DPS down here, our, our state troopers and everything, but then they have the section of where you have to learn all the regulations and everything of, of wildlife management. And uh, one of the classes that, that is taught there at the academy is duck and goose identification. And it just so happened that they had him teach the class since he had the wow. best knowledge and, and, and the teaching of, of duck and goose. So he taught his class um, in, as far as that section of the, of the schooling. Uh, I might mention that uh, there were 48 uh, cadets in the class. And Justin, after, you know, when he graduated, he was ranked number one in his class of 48 game wardens. Wow. He, uh, I was just glass, I'm glad I passed Mr. Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> to be number one, uh, that, that says a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, that that just gives you an idea of, mm, of it does his knowledge and his mm. uh, his love and stuff for wildlife management he um, he enjoyed it of course you know uh, being the new kid on the on the street he had to apply to an area that um, you know where would you like to go well the area <laughs> that you know that he had to go was back to Brian. Uh, which is where Texas A&M is. Well, uh, there's not a heck of a lot of geese and, and ducks around that area stuff. So uh, that was his first station. We were kind of happy because that's where we were living at the time was in Bryant. But anyway, he, he made it through his first year. Then the uh, uh, opening came about in Wharton County, uh, where he actually had been living when he was the uh, – the biologist down at uh, Peach Point. So he applied for it. And it's, it's uh, normally not, uh, you normally have to stay at your one station for at least two years. But they understood, Justin, that uh, the, the relationship that he had with the people in Wharton County and the farmers and uh, everything down here they allowed him to apply for it, and he ended up getting uh, the position as game warden in Wharton County. We have two game wardens in Wharton County. So he was happy to be back where where uh, his love and everything was. So that's... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He was happy. He was, he was pleased to be back in and Get Back home. You know, he, yeah, he, he knew the people around and uh, all the ranchers and the farmers and stuff, and he had uh, a lot of connections and and working with these people and and they trusted him and you know I, I think that's one of the big things that that game wardens need is is to 
really make those personal contacts with your farmers and ranchers. And uh, those relationships can really help you a lot. Uh, it, it gives, you know, you more information and a lot of support and, and uh, you know, it's kind of a working together type situation and you can help both cases. So anyway, he was, he was back down into Wharton County. He was very happy. Uh, got married. Then later on, he ended up having a, a son, uh, Kyle, who is now 14 years old. Mm. He was uh, four months old when his father was killed. Uh, we had just moved down here, retired, uh, retired from Texas A&M, and we had moved down to, to be with him and, and his family and, and to be able to to finally do some things with him that, that we hadn't been able to do. I mean, we like, my wife and I both like to fish. We like to kayak and spend time on the, on the water. So we figured it was going to be a great time for us to get together and be able to do those things with him that we hadn't been able to do in a long time. We moved down to El Campo. We couldn't find a house at the time or we couldn't move into our house at the time. So we were living with them for two weeks. Uh, his wife had gone into Houston that night for a meeting. And so Justin said, well, we've had some calls about poaching and I'm going to go do a little night out, check around and see if we can find out what's going on. He left that night Amanda and Amanda came home. Of course, uh, the next day was St. Patty's Day, which happens to be Justin's birthday. He would be turning 34 uh, the next day. So we were, you know, excited. We were going to have a, a birthday, small birthday party for him and, and everything. So his wife came home and about one o'clock in the morning, there were knocks at the door. I heard him and I thought, well, you know, Justin must have left his keys, something at home for him to be knocking at the door. Mm -hmm. And so I got up and about that time, Amanda came down the hall. So she saw the flashlight and she told the person, she said, go away. And the person said, no, we need to talk. And so she opened up the front door. It was Justin's captain from uh, Victoria. And he informed us that Justin had been shot and was being transported to Memorial Herman Hospital in Houston, and that we needed to immediately get dressed and, and go to the hospital. So we did. You know, those four knocks uh, are something that you'll remember your entire life. Mm -hmm. So we went into Houston to the hospital. When we arrived at the hospital, there was about 15, 20 game wardens there at the hospital. When, when we got there, we were informed that Justin did not make it. So we met with the doctors and, and everything, and they explained to us what had happened. And he had received two, two um, shots, uh, one in the buttocks and uh, one in his side. He was at the scene. He was kneeling down to take a shot. He, his vest did not cover the side of, of your body. That's where he got shot. It was in the side. So my next question was, well, is there anything that, uh, you know, as far as 
parts of his body that could be donated to other people. And uh, they said no due to the fact that uh, the amount of damage that it had done to his internal organs, that there was nothing that could be used. The only thing that they actually were able to use was his eyes. And he had fantastic eyes Mm -hmm. because he could see geese farther than I think anybody else could. So that's, that was part of it that, you know, was good that his eyes were used. So we returned back to El Campo. When we started coming down the road, there were about 20, 25 game wardens already at the house. You know, a lot of hugs and, and everything and, and a lot of tremendous support from Texas Parks and Wildlife. They kept the news media away from us. And so it was, you know, a pretty tough time. But um, later on that afternoon, uh, the case had been turned over to the Texas Rangers. So we met with the Texas Ranger that afternoon and, and he explained everything that had happened and, and what was going on so that they, you know, the person that had done the shooting and everything had been captured and, and that. And uh, Justin had been shot. And he had also shot the person that shot him. He had, he had shot the, the young man uh, in the arm and also in the legs. What had happened was that they had had problems with uh, somebody on the road of shooting coaching off the road and there was one of the other game wardens that was there and he was out that night and Justin was on the way over and they heard the gunshot the other game warden uh, went to to the location of of where the shot came from Uh, and there was a a guy there with with a uh, rifle and he had shot uh, actually a possum off the road the game warden tried to stop the individual. He refused to stop. So from that point on, for about an hour and a half, uh, there was a pursuit that happened on back roads and, and uh, over on the highway and speeds up to almost 100 miles an hour. So the game warden immediately called in other, other units that were in the area. And we had uh, constables that came in. Uh, the uh, uh, Wharton County Sheriff Department had four units that, that were in the chase. Um, DPS, which is our state patrol, uh, they were involved. So a total of about 10 other units were involved, plus two game wardens. Most of these units had dash cams. So everything that happened that night was taped. The, um, the pursuit continued and finally the young man came back down a back road and they were able to take and put out strips and spikes and, and uh, punctured. Uh, well, before that, Justin had come into play and uh, he was taking a back road. The guy ended up coming down that road and Justin... Tried blocking the road. The guy went off into a ditch on the other side and just sideswiped Justin's vehicle. So once he did that, that puts a whole new mm. situation into it. The chase continued. 
one of the deputy sheriffs from Warden County was a retired Marine. And once uh, his comments was once I saw that his car was sideswiped, that this was going to be a whole different ball game. And so he pulled his 45 and set it in his lap because he felt that something was, was going on that time. So anyway, the, the young man uh, continued, went across the train track and went into a, a circle drive to a, a, a cemetery. And once he got into the middle of the, of the road, uh, he turned his truck sideways and the rest of these vehicles that had been in this pursuit um, all immediately came right in and kind of circled where he couldn't come out. Mm-hmm. The young man got out of the truck. They knew that he had a rifle. Uh, you know, they figured it was probably a 22. Uh, he got out of the car with a, with a 357 block, started coming down the back side of the truck, uh, going down the, the, the rail of the truck, uh, shooting at the police cars. And he was shooting at, you know, whatever one that, you know, he could hit. But uh, he um, went the entire length of the truck. Uh, he was counting. He had, he had practiced this before, so he knew how many rounds he had, had in his gun. And then he started coming back up. And he was shooting at, at the police units that were up close. Mm-hmm. He came back and opened the um, back door of the truck. Uh, some of the police officers started firing into that area, hoping, you know, from the other side, hoping that they could possibly hit him. And Justin had opened up his door. He was the only one out there that night that had an AR-15, and it was laying on his back seat. So he got out of his truck, and uh, he was dressed all in black and went down into a ditch uh, that was right next to the cemetery and went up against the fence, the cyclone fence. When the man, uh, young man got out of his truck this time, he had an AK-47 with 30-round clip, of Russian-made hollow-point rounds. He came out, and um, Justin had, uh, Justin fired, I think, four rounds and hit him three times, and, but they were not uh, rounds or shots that were going to kill, and he was trying to strictly wound the guy, uh, hit him in the leg and arms. And uh, when the guy came up this time, he had his AK. Justin was shooting military rounds, which has tracers in them. And he picked up the tracers on Justin's gun coming out. Uh, Justin was kneeled down uh, to shoot. The guy fired at Justin and hit the fence, the cyclone fence next to Justin. And then he uh, ended up hitting two rounds into Justin. Then he turned and started firing at the other units again. And then he decided that there was some woods <clears throat> in back of him and he knew the area very well. He lived about two or three blocks from the cemetery. Mm. So he decided that he was going to make a run for it. He had his other 
uh, clip in his in his pocket, and he started making a run. And one of the deputy sheriffs uh, was able to take and shoot him and shot him in the ankle. And uh, he lost his other clip, and then he ended up falling down um, because of the ankle injury. Uh, then they went over to him and and was able to take the gun away from him. In the meantime, there were. They were trying to help Justin as much as they could. They tried giving him CPR, but um, uh, there was one of the DPS that was a um, EMT. an EMT that uh, carried uh, IVs with him. He tried to give Justin an IV to try to get some nourishment and uh, some something back into his system, mm. but Justin's... Uh, veins and everything had started collapsing because he was losing such a large amount of blood due to the the amount of damage internally. Uh, Life Light was called in and they uh, immediately Life Light him to Houston uh, Herman Hospital. The, uh, The other guy was taken to the hospital and his injuries were taken care of. Uh, then the Texas Ranger basically took care of, the, you know, the, the, from that point on, took the case. So that's kind of what happened that that quick night. Um, when we got to the hospital, they told us that Justin had not made it. And so um, Amanda and I were able to go down and, and see Justin. And... She stayed for a short time, and I spent some time with Justin. And Pat came down, too, and spent some time. That was basically it. Um, you know, I, I asked God, I said, why? Why did you take my son? Because he had so much to offer young kids. And that's what he wanted to do, was work with young kids. And... He wasn't going to have that opportunity. So that's basically that part of the story. And um, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing so much, uh, Mr. Hurst. This is, you know, that's the part that's tough for every law enforcement to hear. Officer, and it should be for the public, somebody making that ultimate sacrifice for them and it, how it affects the family. Every time I see an officer, goes up on the TV, I think about the family and how it affects them yeah. and and what they're going through. The things you went through, the yeah. things my family went through, the things my friends' families have gone through. It, it tears your heart out every time. And I want people to know that. I want people to know when a law enforcement officer gives his life, it tears out hearts across this nation. Yeah. They, they don't understand it. And, um, and especially now... We've lost so much, uh, I don't want to say respect for law enforcement, but uh, they're, they're going through some extremely tough, tough times. And uh, it's, it's tough on law enforcement right now. I would just, these people need to stop and think, what would we do if we didn't have law enforcement? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's just unreal. But yeah. Yeah. And, and your but, story, uh, your family's story doesn't end there because we still have the guy that killed Justin who's been arrested 
the story continues for you. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, uh, several weeks and everything later on, uh, we, we had, we had game wardens that, uh, were at the house with us 24 hours a day. Uh, they never left. Then three days later, I think it was that we ended up having, having Justin's funeral. And, um, there was approximately 500 law enforcement from all over the state there and paramedics and, and fire department and, and stuff like that. When you live in a, a, in a small community, mm-hmm. uh, they're all, all part of first responders and, uh, they're all very, very, very important to, to the whole community. So, but anyway, uh, we had the funeral and, um, uh, Justin's, uh, body was cremated. They have then been, uh, taken out to the bay and, and thrown into the, into the bay. And some of them we have given to Justin's friends to also take input where locations where Justin would like to be. Um, we took the biologist that uh, had worked with Justin back out to Peach Point. And by the way, now has been changed to Justin Hurst Memorial. Wow. RM. Uh, yeah, Justin Hurst. So, uh, so we took some of his ashes out there and put them in projects that Justin had created hmm. there at, at the thing. But um, so that, that part of it, uh, uh, we went through. The next part then uh, becomes the, uh, the trial part of it. And um, we uh, met with the, with the, uh, the Texas Ranger and the, the district attorney and, and everything. And, and, uh, looked at some of the videos um, that, you know, that they were able to look at and everything that they could see and stuff. So we looked at some of that. And with uh, this was our choice. We wanted, we wanted to see what happened. We decided with all the police officers at different units and everything that were involved um, that we would be willing to offer life without parole and uh, so that the officers wouldn't have to go through all of this trial that reliving that night again and and it's tough on them it's tough for them to have to have to go through something like that and and relive it again Mm -hmm. and we didn't want it. And so we offered the young man life without parole and he turned it down. Mm. So there was only one direction to go. And that was uh, first degree murder uh, and execution. That's, that was the plan that our attorneys and the DA and, and um, everything that was what, everything was geared up for was now the death penalty. So we went through later on, we went through uh, three weeks of trial and uh, every day uh, we listened to those same videotapes of, of the, 
that chase. that the chase that uh, that we went through that entire thing and all the breakdowns of how many rounds were fired and and the complete you know complete thing of, of what transpired that night. Um, so then it came to the jury and the jury uh, took two and a half hours, I think it was, to uh, go ahead and, and find you know him a first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. And then the penalty phase of it, they did the life. I mean, they did the, the execution. Of course, in that, in that period there, you have, uh, you have numbers of appeals and everything that this young man can get. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. And so we, his first appeals came up and uh, he had 12, he took 12 appeals right off the start. And that's before nine judges in all 12 of those appeals, uh, nine judges voted no on all of those appeals. So then it goes to the next appeal and, and then um, that appeal is, is over with. Then you go through another appeal and another appeal. And finally, uh, we're looking at 10 years down the, down the road the uh, district attorney called us uh, the 2015 and said, well, he's lost all of his appeals. We now need to sit and talk and decide on his execution because he's lost all of his appeals. So they came over to the house and a representative from Texas Parks and Wildlife was there and, and the district attorney and everything. And they said, well, now it's your turn. And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? And they said, you get to pick the day that he's to be executed. And that's kind of a, kind of a tough mm. thing to do. So the holidays were coming and, and uh, everything. We decided that we would give him his holidays, his Christmas and New Year's and, and with his family and let them have as much time with him as, as they possibly could. The day it was, had been picked and um, there was nothing that would interfere with it. And other than if the, the governor would give him a stay of execution, we had picked the 26th of January. It's always on a Wednesday when the executions are done in Texas, but it wasn't that, the thing that we just show up and go to the execution, uh, we had to go spend three hours of, of uh, a seminar type thing uh, where everything was explained to us, what was going to happen, the entire procedure of what was going to happen and what we can do and what we can't do that day. So we, uh, and if we were going in to view the, the uh, execution, and there were certain restrictions that we had to do and couldn't do. And we chose not to go in. We let the law enforcement people that were involved um, go in and, 
with into that part of it. So then it came time for us to go to the go to the uh, facility and everything, and so they put us all in cars and took us to the penitentiary. And of course, you've got your people outside that are against uh, the death penalty and stuff. So we went through that part of it. It was a tremendous education, and you don't think of all these little things when you when you go through one of these things. The only thing that we could take in to the the penitentiary was our driver's license. Mm. Nothing else. I mean, no, nothing else. Yes, um, uh, we go in our. Um, driver's license had to be turned upside down when we got out of the car so that uh, the news media couldn't read who was who was going into the execution of course they knew you know who we were anyway but mm-hmm. so we got inside and and then uh, our driver's license and everything were checked uh, by one lady and and then uh, another lady had to check them again and make sure that everything was, they were, you know, certified driver's license. Then we uh, we went upstairs, went by uh, jail sales and stuff downstairs and went upstairs. And uh, where we were then searched, uh, one of the guards uh, took a wand and searched us and made sure that we didn't have any anything bringing in with us. So we went through that and then, uh, we waited for the oh the man in the yeah, suit yeah the warden of the of the penitentiary to come in and, and tell us whether or not uh, he had any states that had come in from the governor or anybody else and there was no stays so the execution from that point on was would proceed so it it you know, everything just proceeded and, and the group that was going in went to went to the location and we stayed upstairs. They went in to, to observe it. One of the things that was kind of interesting, um, I was contacted by a uh, police officer in, out of Houston and um, um, it's a motorcycle group. And uh, it's made up of law enforcement people that ride motorcycles. Mm-hmm. He said, it, we just want to know if it will be okay if we come to the execution outside. outside. And I said, I have no, no problems with it. He said, well, let me explain what we do. He said, we'll be there. And he said, but when they ask him if he has anything to say, that's when we will rev up our motorcycles outside so that his answer can't be heard. And I mean, we didn't, you know, but when they mm. knew the time there, you, you could hear them. It's, it's one of these things of law support and it's just tremendous type of support that you get. But he and, and he decided not to say anything. Yeah. So, yeah, he never said anything, even during the trial and everything. He never broke a smile or, or anything. And, and you know, so we looked at him every day when we were in during the trial. 
but anyway, um, so he was he was executed on that day. We came down and went out, and there was a large group of game wardens and, and everything that were there with us uh, for support. We've had we've had such tremendous support from from Texas Parks and Wildlife and and other law enforcement groups. There are several other groups that 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 are that are tremendous supports. One of them is called Cops, and I don't know if you know anything about Cops. Yep, I'm from uh, Cops. Yep. Great organization. Yep. Yeah. If you want to talk and, about uh, them, please do. Um, they are a uh, they are a group that you don't want to be a member of. And when I say that, it's due to the fact that uh, it it indicates that you have lost a son or a daughter or a spouse. Family it's family members is what it is. And uh, that's where the cops comes in involved. So we became part of that organization. Every year we go up to Arkansas um, for our parents retreat. And at the parents retreat, new members uh, who have lost a son or daughter or relative the previous year will be there. And uh, they go through uh, different meetings and, and tremendous support. And, and the big thing about it is that everybody there have been through it. We have lost somebody. So we understand what they're going through. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that there is, is that, you know, people say, well, yeah, I lost and so-and-so, so-and-so, and I know what you're going through, but, it's a different type of, of hurt and loss that, that you have. It's, a, it's amazing how people feel when they get ready to leave, that they feel that they have somebody there to support them and help them. And because we've all been there and we understand what they're going through. So that, that group is there. Um, uh, the other is uh, the 100 Club, and I don't know if you have that up in we where do. you are. We do. <clears throat> Pat and I are, are members of the 100 Club. Uh, they had purchased the dash cams and stuff for the two game warden trucks that night that were used. So that's how important what the, they do is that they buy the equipment. Uh, they had also purchased a, a vest for Justin, even though it didn't save his life or anything. He at least had, had a vest. But the 100 Club is a very, very big supporting organization. Operation um, I just happen to be the past president of the Wharton 100 Club. <laughs> so mm. we wanted to get involved in organizations that help and support law enforcement. And so that's what we did. Also, I'm involved in the organization dealing with Texas Parks and Wildlife called Operation Game Thief, which I know you're familiar with. We also, you know, we have now the international organization, which is, I think, doing some great things. But I'm also on the board of directors of Operation Game Thief for Texas Parks and Wildlife. And I did that because I wanted to make sure 
that our game wardens had the best equipment that they possibly can have. And each year we take and have events. We have sporting clay shoots where we raise money and we take that money to take and help buy extra equipment that the state won't buy, but we buy special equipment um, to make the game wardens job a lot easier and help them in whatever they're doing. Mm. So involved in, in those organizations. We had the choice when Justin was killed. Yeah. We had the choice of, you know, when Justin was killed of what we wanted to do. Mm. And Pat and I decided that we wanted to do whatever we could to help other people in law enforcement and support them in whatever way that we possibly can. So that if they do go through what we've been through, hopefully we can make it a little easier for them. Like other people had have helped us go through what we went through. So that's kind of our, our story. I'm going to go back a, to what Pat said is trying to make lemonade out of lemons. That's just not so sweet. Um, and that yep. sounds like what you're trying to do. You're trying to, to make it better for everybody in the future. So you can be there, just like you know the cops group, that you can be there and support them as much as you've been supported, which is a, is a, yeah. is a pretty awesome thing to do for you and your wife. Um, certainly. Uh, I appreciate it. We met at the International Wildlife Crime Stoppers Conference in Texas. We had some words there. Yeah. Uh, certainly. After I started this, I certainly wanted to, to get back in touch with you so we could tell Justin's story. So you can continue to do what you're doing, uh, Mr. Hurst, and pat in the background every now and then reminding you. <laughs> hey. Oh, that's great. But behind every great man is a great woman. <laughs> right. Oh, I like you already. <laughs> And I like you too, Pat, I can tell. <laughs> there there are so many people that after after we've been through everything and, and stuff and letters and, and people that made comments about Justin, uh, what type of, of guy he was. And he was uh, the type of guy that uh, would be honest with you. Uh, he had a very soft, low voice. If he was going to check you and stuff, he wasn't going to, he was very mild and everything about it. And he would rather educate you and teach you something about if you were doing something wrong. And he was more concerned about that than he was giving you a ticket. Tell him about walking through the jail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was walking through the uh, the parking lot here in town uh, at the El Campo Police Department. And there was a black gentleman and, and he hollered at Justin and Justin waved back to him and asked him how he was doing and everything. And Justin talked to him, you know, and so the other warden said, well, do you know that guy? And he says, yeah, I, I arrested him three nights ago. And he said, and you still have a rapport like that? And he said, yeah. He said, he's a normal person. He said, he understands that he did something wrong. That's the reason he's in here. But we don't hold a grudge against each other. Mm. He, he has learned that he did something. And that was 
what I wanted to do was to teach him that he did something wrong and correct it. So that's the way Justin was. Mm. He was, uh, he was, he'd rather teach you something than penalize you, but he would penalize you. Nope. I, that, that sounds great. It sounds, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a lot of game wardens are like that. We, we want to correct the, the behavior, but we don't hold it against the individual unless they hold it against us. I'm going to throw that in there from my experience. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've, you've been there. You understand it. Mm-hmm. It's not, Yes. Not good. Well, thank you for all that you guys have done for everybody. Thank you for participating in this memorial podcast. And I'm going to end this. I've, I was doing a lot of research just before we get on and, and to do this recording, Mr. Hurst. And I found on the Officer Down Memorial page uh, something your wife wrote, which uh, explains uh, a little more about Justin. And yet, when you listen to this podcast, you'll understand her quote a little more. It's from March 16, 2018. It says, it's so hard to believe it was 11 years ago this evening that you were gunned down following a car chase. The years have made each day's passing a little more bearable. However, there is nothing that will change the hole that remains in my heart from your passing. Dearest son, you are missed so much. Help God with all his ducks and geese up in heaven. Pat Hurst, mom. She's crying. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty special. And I understand the ducks and geese now. That that at first I was I, I and I I'm glad we had this podcast because I'm ducks and geese. He must have liked ducks and geese. He loved ducks and geese. So thank yeah, you, thank you did. guys so much. Thank you, Pat. Uh, appreciate thank you, you being the support. Thanks uh, for what you do. Yes, thank you, sir. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.